Welcome to the What We Talked About in Class podcast, brought to you from the campus of Wayne Community College in Goldsboro, North Carolina, sponsored by the Foundation of Wayne Community College. There's a lot of learning opportunities in business and in life, and uh, there's a lot of crossover between what you learn in business and what you learn in life. Because the way you manage your business, you can apply some of the same principles to the way you manage your household with regards to budgeting, you know, with regards to respect for others and communication. Uh, all those things have crossover in your personal life too. And then I think the older, more refined you get into it, you realize that they blend together very, very well. Some of the best business people that I've met um, along the way, they were community figures. And you, you see them out in the community shaking hands, talking to people. They're at events. And people know them as this individual who's very just chummy and good to talk to, but they know them as a business person too. And I know for a fact that leads to more business. You know, it, it just does. Um, does he, are you a member of the Chamber of Commerce, by the way? You, should, you are a member of chamber. You should, you should join. Um, it's only about $170 a year, but they have around 600 members. And um, I work with an individual. I do some part-time work with a, a billboard company. And uh, it's, a, it's an entrepreneur, sole proprietor. And we're just now joining the chamber uh, very soon. And there's a business after hours event at Wayne, I believe, on February 27th. I, be I believe that's the date. I've got a, it's a Thursday, but uh, there's going to be about 100 to 150 people there. Um, Texas Roadhouse is catering it, so there'll be stuff. But you got to be a chamber member to be invited, you know. And so, um, but I think it's a good networking opportunity for businesses. And you, you get to meet a lot of personalities and kind of, uh, it's just good. It's just good business PR to do that kind of stuff. So, what else is, what's up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a, Here's actually, this is uh, telling on myself a little bit. My, my perception of my biggest weakness in business is networking. I think, I think that's my biggest weakness. I really do. Because even though I'm a little extroverted here, I like to talk, I'm very introverted personally. Like, uh, I like to read books and hang out and just watch, watch movies and be with my family and not put very public, you know. So I'm actually, if, you, if you've ever taken a Myers-Briggs personality test, has anybody done that? I'm right in the middle between introvert and extrovert, and I've taken the test like five times, and it always lands right in the middle on that introvert-extrovert line. So, But uh, I need to, things I need to improve on are networking. is because I, this is a crazy statement, but it's a bold statement, but I'm going to make it. I believe where you end up professionally is 50% attributed to networking. That's a big percentage, 50%. The other 50% is you and your credentials and what you bring to the table. And so networking is a big piece of that puzzle. Who you know makes a big difference. The people you hang around, if you hang around winners, you're going to be a winner. If you hang around with losers, guess what? You're a loser. And so you got to start hanging around people that in neighborhoods that you want to be in. You know, I met a guy from NC State a couple years ago. He's a professor. And up-and-comer, super bright, and just really highly motivated. And he was a successful guy, and the reason to his success was because he started hanging around successful people. And that just kind of 
osmotically transferred to him, right, the things that they do. Uh, and I actually adopted this about 15 years ago. I started looking at people's resumes for things that I wanted to be, you know, like if this person is successful and I want to be like them, what have they done? And so I would look at resumes and say, well, I need to duplicate that experience. I need to get the degrees they have. I need to have the types of jobs they do, have had in the past, because they've done some type of magic combination of things that led them to their career path. Yes, ma'am. Uh, in my experience with uh, working for myself, <clears throat> I have learned that everyone that you lay your eyes on, that you can, there's a value that you can add right. to your life. Absolutely, yeah. And, uh, and that is very powerful. Well, just like, I mean, I know you came to see me over the holidays and brought me some Avon, <laughs> but now you are my Avon person. If, I'm, if, I, if Avon comes up in a conversation, <laughs> I know somebody, you know, and that's networking. You did the, I mean, and uh, now if, I, if somebody asked me, do you know anybody sells Avon? I said, absolutely. So Cynthia Williams, boom. So, yeah, but I don't, you're the only person I know that does this. So, but that's a great PR thing, you know. And so, and over time, you, you build your network doing that kind of stuff. So, awesome. What else is going on? Good conversation pieces. All right. I'm going to jump back into the lecture and... We are talking about managing and performing, chapter one. I like to do recaps to lead us back up to where we left off, and there is a method to the madness behind that. When you do a recap, it may seem boring for that five or ten minutes of the recap because you say, oh, well, we've already seen these slides, but guess what you're doing? You're learning. It's putting it into your brain. And so I already talked about my background a little bit, and the reason I share that background information is just to kind of show you my career path and what, you know, the experiences I've had. And even though some of my experiences were not positive, they were learning opportunities, and uh, I have that information to share. We talked about the learning outcomes, um, which are three for this chapter, what managers do to help organizations achieve top performance. Keep in mind that managers are hired for a reason. They're hired to get things done. That's the main function of management, is to use your resources, your human, your capital resources in order to uh, make sure that the job is being done as the company wants it to be done or the organization. What are the roles that managers play in organizations? We talked about the hats that managers wear. We'll get back into that in a moment. And then what are the characteristics that affect managers, uh, effective managers display? And we'll talk about some of those personality traits. Um, so there were some core, three core management roles that we have, informational, interpersonal, and decisional. What do we say informational was? Yeah, those are some of the things that informational managers do. But what is the greater context? What are what are informational managers supposed to do? Right, they're supposed to be kind of a communication hub, right? They're supposed to know what's going on. They communicate with the upper leadership within an organization, the owners, and the upper level management. They take that information and and disseminate it to other individuals, so they'll know what's going on. And let me stress to you how important it is to make sure that people understand what you're talking about. You can be a manager in a room of 20 people and tell all 20 people the same exact information, and they have 20 different interpretations of what you said. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you know what? Mr. Donaldson did a, not her, she was out one day, and we had somebody else come in and do a little presentation. Yeah. Person come in, she told that one, and then when it was completely said, it was 
Right. Absolutely, yeah. Um, you know, drawn upon the Walmart experience, every season we had to change the floor plan because of a new new merchandise coming in, new season coming in. And they would send out these things called modulars or planograms, you know. And the modulars were kind of cookie cutter for a prototypical store. But our every store is unique, you know. It's, I mean, there's some that are very similar, but each store has its own unique characteristics. And so... Uh, we would have to adapt these modulars to fit our our store, and man, there was a lot of learning curve there. But yeah, you could tell you could have a group of five associates, and you tell them this is what I want to do, you to do, and they interpret it as being something completely different than what you said. And so, it's important to and there's actually a chapter on communication. We'll talk about this, but it's important that when you share something with somebody, ask them to explain it to you, and you're not being disrespectful. You just want to make sure they understand. So explain it to me what I want done. And remember I talked about the crossover between management and your, your home life? I have to do this with my kids, you know? So like if I tell my kids, I want you to do this, I want you to tell me what I said. So there's an accountability there. They know, you know, I bet you do this at once upon a child. So these are the things we need done. Do you understand what I'm talking about when I say this? Because my oldest daughter, not to pick on her, but she's looking for the lowest bar possible as to what I want done, you know. Get, it's like if I say pick up the laundry and put it in the basket, you know, like, I, in fact, I did this recently. We had some laundry in the hall. We had some laundry in the bathroom. I said, get the basket out of the bathroom and pick up the laundry. And she left the basket in the bathroom and just put the laundry in the bathroom in the basket but didn't get the laundry in the hallway. I was like, okay. So, yeah, so it's important to make sure people – understand exactly what you mean it'll save time it'll save money interpersonal what does that mean what do we say that meant Interaction. right you have to be good with people in fact there's some metrics that we'll look at later in the, in the course we'll talk about skill sets that managers have and human resources or, or sorry uh, human interaction being able to talk to people and interact with people that's the highest level for all management levels whether you're a frontline manager or you're a CEO of a company, you all have to be able to work with people. If you're not a people person, guess what? You probably wouldn't do well as a manager, you know, because management is about working with people. And that's something I think is a misconception when it comes to newly minted managers that were formerly associates or just hourly rank and file workers. I think they think I can still do kind of the same uh, laborious work that I was doing before where I was, you know, stocking shelves or, you know, doing this type of work and not think about, have to worry about people so much. It's not, it's, it's very much people oriented. And if you get the people process right, you'll be a successful manager. But if you can't work with people or, or not very good at it, it's going to be a problem. And I was talking to a colleague about this yesterday. It's a real issue if you've got people in leadership and they're really bad managers or they're really uh, toxic. I mean, this, it creates this issue, but I, I read every day, and one thing that I came across recently was if you find yourself in a toxic work experience, just leave. I mean, you're not, you don't have to stay in a toxic work environment. Find something else. Transfer to another department. Transfer to another institution. Find another place to be because uh, it really will affect your life in a number of ways. It'll affect your sleep, so it'll affect your home life, so Basically, your whole life is impacted by this, this work experience. And then lastly, decisional. What do we say about decisional? 
That's, that's easy. I have to make decisions. Right. I have to be able to make decisions for long term, short term, on the spot decisions. Does anybody, yes, sir? Right? Does anybody play this game at their house? What do you want for supper? Anybody play that game? So, oh yeah, well, I'm just saying, like, yeah, what's for supper? And it's a game that I play seven days a week, 365. And so, my wife, she normally would get off and she's tired. And so, if I can spearhead supper plans, that's a win, you know, in some way. But sometimes I don't know what I want to do for supper, or, you know. So, um, the first two nights of this week, we cooked, uh, or I cooked. And then um, last night we went out and got something and came back home. But uh, so I've got to figure it out tonight. What are we doing for supper? Yeah. But at some point in that, and it's sometimes, and this has happened many times over, you know, uh, my lifetime, sometimes it goes on for a while. It's like 30, 45 minutes, an hour. What are we doing for supper? And it gets to the point where it's ridiculous where people get mad, you know. So I don't know. Just pick something, you know. Yes, go ahead. Uh-huh. And what worked well for me, my family, was that I didn't like for my children to come home being angry and exhausted and right. tired. So what I did, I planned ahead of time, and I wrote down. Each, Do like a meal plan? Uh-huh, yeah. a meal plan for a total week. That's awesome. And I posted yeah. on the refrigerator, so that way I would not be stressed out when I came home. And I used my lunch break. Come home because I gave myself a personal lunch break. It's nice. To come home to prepare my meals for my family, so my children and my husband, of course. Right. Uh, when they came home, they can smell the aroma coming up on the floor. You're awesome. And, I tell you. And it really worked. And what I love about it was that I thought about how, you know, when you're working, uh, when you come home, you want to just like sit down for just a moment or two. Right. So when my kids came home from school, I allowed them to take a break and get some rest. They did not have to do their homework right then. Right. You know, and it was the door. It was the food was already prepared for them. Sure. If they wanted to go ahead and eat right then, they could. Yeah. And that really worked. See, this is another opportunity for me because I'm really organized at work, but. Right. Like you know, when I get home though, my brain shuts off, and I'm like, <laughs> what happened? You know. But I'll tell you, though, um, and another challenge I have is that I'm the cook in the family. And, of, well, I, I like to cook, but um, and part of it is my wife can cook. I just don't like the stuff she cooks as much. You know, and that's not, I mean, I'm not, and she knows this. Yeah. Well, as an example, she cooks a macaroni and cheese that has, like, sour cream in it and mayonnaise. And I'm like, ugh, no, just, just give me some craft, you know. But um, true story, yeah. But one of the challenges I have is that of the things that I cook, which is a limited menu, my kids only eat like 20% of it. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, like if I make a casserole, they're not into that, you know. So where's the hot dog, you know, that kind of thing. So, oh, wow. yeah. So, well, that, and planning your meals, that kept the level of arguments down. Right. So, you know, that, that, that illuminates that. Well, I need to do a better job with that. So you've inspired me to start mm-hmm. figuring out maybe at least plan Monday through Friday. That's mm-hmm. a good idea. So. And the greatest part about it is I already knew what I had was planned meals. Right. 
It needs need to be thawed out. It was thawed out that night. Right. So when I got up, put it in the refrigerator, and bang. The crock pot is your friend. So. <laughs> Right, let me ask a quick question. Go ahead. Who put something in the crock pot in the morning and leaves the house with it plugged in and on? I have before, but not in probably five years. It's been a while since I've done something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I know. Feel funny about that. Right. I mean, yeah. I don't mind running across the street with my sister while it's there because I'm just across the street. Right. Somebody was telling me I wanted to cook something, but I knew I had classes and stuff. And she said, that's what the crock pot's for. And I said, I am not leaving my house. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. yeah. it's a little sketchy. Yeah, I've done it before, yeah. but it's exactly. but if you leave it on the lowest setting, yeah. right. but I don't I don't sign off on doing that that often. That's not, a, not something well, I feel I comfortable with. Yeah, yeah. I have done it, but I probably wouldn't do it today. So. Oh, yeah. There you go. So. Yeah, she, she burnt down her she shed, so, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, at some point, though, we have to make a decision. That's the greater point. And somebody has to step in and say, you know what, this is what we're doing. And the dissenting voices, you know, they're going to be present in, in, in organizations. That at some point, that just goes away, and we move on to the next thing, you know. And uh, you see this in, like I said, your, your professional life your personal life and in organizations that you're involved in in the community, you know, whether it be churches or volunteer groups, you still will have these opportunities present. So, all right, and this is where we left off, and I'll just go through it very quickly. But we had those three, the informational, interpersonal, and decisional, and then some specific hats that they wear, the monitor, the disseminator, the spokesperson, the figurehead, the leader, the liaison, the entrepreneur, disturbance handler, resource alligator, I'm sorry, not alligator, allocator, and negotiator. Um, and I said that you can be a manager that wears all these hats. And that's the expectation. They want you to be able to think and move on your feet and not freeze up and be indecisive. They want somebody that's going to respond. That's what managers do. I tell you, I actually compliment this guy every time I go in this place. Does anybody ever go into IHOP in Goldsboro? The manager in there is on point. And he seems a little abrasive. I think he is a little abrasive because he runs a tight ship. But I actually shake his hand and thank him because he's just, he's just running that place. I mean, he's the captain of the ship, making things happen. Um, if there's an empty table, he's getting people on it, clean, cleaned off. I mean, he keeps those tables turning. So that's somebody that's, that knows what the expectation is is on top of it. So next time you go in IHOP in Goldsboro, just watch this guy work. So it's very impressive. So, All right. Um, I think this is actually the last place we left off, and I'll just go through this quickly. The manager responsibility about long-term planning, controlling processes, meaning that if you see something moving away from the expectation of the norm, you grab a hold of that and move it back to where it's supposed to be. Environmental scanning, checking out the competition. Uh, supervision, making sure people are doing what they're supposed to do. Coordinating, working with others. Uh, customer relations and marketing. Community uh, relations, going to business after hours events, talking to other uh, business leaders, internal consulting, and then monitoring products and services. So there is a lot that goes into being a manager, and this is not an all-inclusive list. This is just some of the high points. And uh, normally when you go work for a company, they've got kind of a process in place, and they know what the, the expectations are, and they share those with you. But be, be ready to live in a changing environment. That's something that people don't like to do. They like to get something that's comfortable. 
where they don't change that much. But business is very much a changing environment. Even in education, this is my fifth year, and I've changed books for this particular class three times, and we've changed our process. You know, when I first got here, we had three or four learning uh, learning uh, management systems, LMSs, like we had Moodle and, and uh, Cengage Now and Applia, and there was one more. Um, uh, the regular Cengage was a little different from Cengage Now. There's not been another one after that. But I had to learn all those, and then we said we want to consolidate to get to one. So we all went with just standard Cengage, which was the Cengage Unlimited and all that stuff. Well, then we said we want to go to open ed resources to save our students money. And so I expect we'll do this for a while, and then there'll be the next thing, whatever it may be, you know. Holographic. You guys will see me in VR, you know. So it's probably going to happen. You know, you can put on a VR headset, and you can see me doing a lecture. I mean, I'm sure that's going to be a norm, you know. Uh, VR education so all right you may have seen something like this before this is a very typical organizational hierarchy where you have rank-and-file employees first-line managers middle management and executive managements employees at the middle of the first level of management might have also managerial responsibilities that span departments as uh, leaders of a team like things like department managers and things like this they're tip they're traditionally uh, not really managers in the fact that they're interacting with people or having uh, a lot of um, subordinates. They may have one or two people that work, you know, technically underneath them in the hierarchy, but they're not your go-to management, you know, person that uh, is going to be dealing with people and processes and budgets and things like that. They're mainly responsible for a limited scope of the organization. Um, then first-line management. These are, you know, think, thinking assistant managers, um, uh, operations managers, people that are getting things done. These are the people that are basically making sure that the business is headed in the direction it's supposed to be going and all cylinders are firing, everything's working the way it's supposed to. If there is a problem, they jump on it. These are the people that jump on the grenades or they go put out fires. That's what I, that's what I used to do at Walmart. I used to have to carry a walkie-talkie, and when that thing went off, I had to go running, you know, so, so yeah. Like a first-line manager would also be like a team leader? Yeah, like, imagine like a shift leader at a, at a gas yeah. station, yeah, yeah right. Right. And they pretty much ran the floor, or, you know, Right, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So. Yeah, if you went and talked to a team leader about a manager-related question and say, well, let me get a manager, because, I mean, even though they have some <coughs> limited supervisory responsibilities, uh, and area-specific responsibilities, they're still not considered like an upper-level management, you know, but nothing wrong with that. I mean, um, we need people. Well, that, we need people on the front row, though, that have buy-in as somebody that's responsible. You know, if they, in fact, there's, there's good evidence, there's good um, literature that says, I mean, giving people responsibilities and autonomy actually improves engagement and improves performance. And so that's why we have so many positions in organizations sometimes is those are, I hate to use this term token positions, you know, but there, there are some limited responsibilities to have, but anything big that has to change or be decided, it has to go through a different higher level uh, layer, you know, but, but these first level managers, like I mentioned, they're getting things done. The middle managers are looking to the horizon as to we're doing this now we want to think about what we're going to do in the future. They're more long-term focused. And then the executive management are the longest-term visionaries. Um, so think about 
the bottom of the hierarchy as being now, today, this is what we're doing, and the top being the, the, fur, the distant future. This is what we're gonna be. You know, so some companies plan five, 10, 15 years from now, this is what we're gonna be doing. Um, and you know, you won't be, but as you get closer to those time periods, the specificity, you know, a lot gets really more, I guess, specific, you know. But uh, you start, your path is defined uh, more specifically. And so um, executive managers need to think, well, we had this kind of quarter, we had this kind of sales, we had this kind of uh, customer retention, we had this, this kind of customer acquisition. Who is our customer tomorrow going to be? That's the question they ask. You know, because you can't keep expecting those same customers to stay with you forever. They're going to be looking, or they might, but they're going to be looking for new opportunities, new products, new services. They, they want more. Um, I love the idea of anticipation. You know, you ever wanted to get something, and then you wait months and months and months. When you finally get it, the thrill is gone, yeah. you know? It's like, yeah, I finally got it, you know? What a letdown, you know? Uh, especially if you're a kid, you know, when you're a kid, you watch commercials on TV, you see kids playing with a toy and there's like, when they open the box, like magic happens. Like you see like pixie dust and the music starts and like leprechauns and fairies jump out and start dancing. Yeah. And adults are very much like kids, you know, they really are. And they anticipate wanting something, you know, whatever it may be. But as you get to that point, the excitement builds up. And then when it finally occurs, you realize, well, Where's the, where's the fairies? You know, where's the pixie dust? It's not like that. And so consumers are very short-term minded, you know. I mean, uh, after they have that initial thrill, they're looking for that next thing, you know, that anticipation. But delayed gratification is something we'll talk about at some point in the semester. There's a lot of magic that happens with that. Any questions about this? All right. So this is uh, one of the graphics I was talking about earlier about the skills that managers need. Those first line managers need to have the most technical expertise. So imagine that you go to a cell phone shop, you go in there and you're talking to them about problems with your phone, you know. They need to know at that cell phone store how to operate on that phone a little bit, you know. They need to have some technical expertise. Um, one of a friend of mine used to work for US Cellular and um, you would go into US Cellular and there would be a guy at a booth in the back that you would go talk to him about a problem your phone happened and he would put, hook it up and diagnose it or take it apart and do some stuff to it. He was very technically minded, you know. That same friend got promoted to manager at US Cellular and he didn't need as much technical knowledge because he was now dealing more with people issues, but he still needed to have some degree of technical knowledge. But when we get to the executive managers, these are really just business people and they're not dealing with taking a phone or taking a, uh, phones apart or dealing with that kind of stuff. They still need to understand some of the technical things going on. So when they talk to people, they have certain level of expertise in their language, but they're not doing that on a day-to-day -day basis. But you'll see the thing that they all have in common, that human element. All three levels of managers need to know how to deal with people. That's extremely important. You need to know how to be respectful and talk to people in a way that bolsters confidence and for, for people to believe in you. Uh, and then the inverse of the technical is conceptual. Frontline managers don't really need to worry about the concept of what this company is in becoming. They just need to focus on getting things done. Day-to-day -day business. Day business, right. The middle managers, they, have some, they want to have more conceptual uh, framework because they're talking directly to the executive managers, working with them to develop 
these conceptual moves. But the executive managers have the big playbook. They're the ones that are figuring out this is the direction we're going to go in. And they often spend, the bigger the company, the more they put into research and figuring out, is this a good idea? You know, Right now in the cell phone space, the big thing everybody's talking about is 5G. And I heard that 5G is 100 times faster than 4G. And so a movie that would take like 15 minutes to download to your phone is going to take like 20 seconds. Yeah, really crazy fast. So I was like, that's, that's, that's impressive, you know, and we're going to get there. But so do we say if we're a cell phone company, we really want to jump into 5G and spend billions of dollars in making this happen, or do we just want to wait and kind of let things happen? I mean, these are decisions that these companies are making right now, and there's going to be a clear winner, you know. Uh, think about the Netflix effects. Um, that's actually in the homework, you know. It's talking about the Netflix. Well, yeah. Well, it, right. Well, when I was a kid, one of my favorite things to do was go to Doug's Rent a Video in Clinton. And back in that time frame, I'm, I'm sounding like an old guy now, but back in that time frame, kids, uh, you would go to the video store and they had these little tags hanging on the VHS tapes in front of them, and you would pick a tag up, take it to the counter, and they would pull your film like from the library. And you did that? You've done that before? Yeah, yeah. 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 And so then you go take it home and you watch the VHS and then you take it back in like a day or two, depending on how long you got to keep it. And then later in life, I lived in a town that had a blockbuster and it was like, wow, awesome, you know. And you'd go and it was actually, this was, uh, we had DVDs and Blu-rays now, but this was actually at a time when uh, it was part of the culture to go shop for movies, go walk around the movie store. In fact, my wife and I, our first date, was walking around a movie store, just talking about movies. That was something we did. But now, this is a true story, I actually listed a stack of 36 Blu-rays and DVDs on eBay, 36 with a starting bid of $17. Nobody's bidding on it at all. Nobody's, nobody's interested. And so Netflix came in and said, there's a better way. That We started with the delivering DVDs, but they quickly jumped to streaming. Now they still have, I think, last time I checked, about 2 million people that still get the physical discs, but that's quickly going away. You know, Sam's Club got away from selling physical Blu-rays and DVDs. You can't even buy them at Sam's anymore. Walmart continues to shrink their exposure. Um, they rarely, they have very limited amount of music that you can buy on CD. Does anybody buy CDs anymore? You do? One person, yeah. I haven't bought a CD. I can't tell you the last time I bought a CD. I used to have like hundreds of CDs, you know, that I put thousands of dollars into yeah yeah right yeah yeah but right but now like i'm just giving away or or, or selling or throwing away all my dvds and blu-rays and cds because they're they're just, just don't need it you know and so it's just the world the, the things are changing you know but somebody at the executive level had to make that decision to say this is what we're going to do if netflix had said we're just going to keep doing the delivery of discs they'd be out of business but now because they've said we're going to dominate streaming, they really are dominating streaming. And so all these other companies are having to play catch up. Your Disney Plus, your Amazon Prime. Disney, Good. Yeah. Yeah. So you bring up an interesting point, and I'm glad you brought it up. What, does anybody ever play Monopoly, the board game? You, you ever play Monopoly? Mm -hmm. Does anybody ever finish it? You ever get to the end of it? Because it's a long game. Do you ever finish that? Yeah. 
So what happens at the end of Monopoly? One person has everything, right? What ha we actually live in a big Monopoly board right now, and it takes a longer time, but we see consolidation of industries all across you know, our economy. In fact, uh, most of the groceries in the grocery store are controlled by 10 companies. Think about that. Most of the groceries in the grocery store are controlled by 10 companies. Almost all the meat that you eat in the United States is controlled by five companies. Yeah, blows your mind, yeah. So that's a huge consolidation of those industries and they're needed industries. People gotta eat, people, you know, gotta, you know, they, they want these products. And so we see consolidation all over the place and just like Disney, if you look up what Disney owns, and I'll do it real quick in a second, it will blow your minds. In fact, I'll go ahead and do it real quick because it, it's just, uh, you gotta check it out. So, um, what Disney owns? Yeah, let's look at this. Yeah, this is a graphic, and you're not gonna be able to see it. Uh, I don't know if it'll give. Let's see if it'll pull it up. Let's see if I can get a bigger version. Okay, let me zoom in a little bit. Uh, here we go. So I'm just gonna go right here. So you saw how big this thing was to begin with. See all that stuff? Uh -huh. So let's go just look at one part of it. This top ear here is all Marvel Entertainment. And within that, you've got the Marvel toys. You've got the worldwide. You've got the concepts. You've got the Marvel characters. You've got um, development. You've got Marvel property. And then you've got Marvel Studios down here, which is the movie and music wing of it that does all that. So that's just all Marvel. Over here, you've got 20th Century Fox, FX, Fox Sports, Sky News, National Geographic, Hulu, Star TV, yeah, all, and all this other stuff. So that's just the ears. You come down here, and then we're in the first half of the dome here. You've got Walt Disney Studios. You've got Lucasfilm, which is Star Wars. You've got Walt Disney Animation. You've got Walt Disney Pictures. You've got Pixar. Then you get to the, let's well, we got Disney Music Group, Disney Corporate, which is the executive piece of it, Disney Theatrical Group, Disney on Ice, that kind of stuff. Then you get down to uh, Disney ABC Television Group, History Channel, Vice, ABC, all that fun stuff. Then go back to the yellow over here. These are the parks, Disney Parks, Experiences, Consumer Products. So you've got Disneyland, Disney World, Disney Sports Enterprises, yeah, all that fun stuff right there in the middle. Whoa. Disney Publishing Worldwide. Then you get down here to the bottom, and you've got Disney Direct Consumer and International. And so all this fun stuff in here. And then you got Buena Vista Construction Company down there at the bottom, ESPN, Disney Studio Services, Reedy Creek Improvement District, Sphero. Then all these other entities around the exterior of it. They couldn't get them all in there. And so, yeah. So go home and just type in Google what Disney owns and look at this graphic because it will blow your mind just to look at what a behemoth it is. But the reason why is because of what you just mentioned, this consolidation where they just start acquiring properties. And Disney is the dominant force in entertainment. There's no question about it. And they're going to continue to acquire properties. I mean, as studios struggle, Disney say, well, we can snatch up that property. They only paid, I know, only, only paid $4 billion for Star Wars. You know, I think they paid something similar for Marvel. And I mean, $4 billion is a lot of money, but think about all the toys. All, I mean, all the movies. I mean, this year alone, 
I mean, Endgame was like over a billion dollars in revenue, just that one movie. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, they're, they've really got it going on. And um, I think for the next century, you know, Disney's a good play. Go ahead. Is that consolidation like, like our uh, uh, Duke Energy uh-huh. and how they are offering so many different products now to the homeowner, like come in a packet, like you can get the um, heating and air condition protection, uh, electric protection. Right. Like, you know, you can buy a packet. Well, and I'm wondering, um, is that sort of like you were saying about Disney, Disney that they are owning, these companies are coming in and owning yeah. a lot of different things. Duke is the number one power provider in the United States. Uh-huh. Um, I have a lot of, I, I'll, I'll do this briefly, I have a lot to say about power companies and healthcare uh, and health insurance providers. To me, like, if we live in a free market capitalistic society, you should have the right to competition, but in those particular instances, you don't. And so, like, if, if, I will, if we allow the health insurance companies just to simply compete across state lines, we could get better rates on health insurance premiums. But because the laws prevent that, we're forced to pay whatever Blue Cross Blue Shield North Carolina says we have to pay. And... I'm not going to get on the soapbox, but just for 30 seconds, and I'll say this, and then I'll be done. Uh, it is wrong for a company or an organization to have a vested interest in not paying out premium, uh, paying out claims because it increases their bottom line. And to me, insurance companies are a racket, and if they're not, then there's definitely a lot of problems with them. And so I'm prepared to be wrong on that, but I don't think I am. So, but yeah, when it comes to the power companies. There are some issues there too, but I have a bigger problem with the health health insurance industry. So, all right, that actually concludes chapter one, guys. I appreciate your attention. Let me call a roll before you leave, real quick. Uh, make sure I got everybody accounted for. But thanks for being here. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. If you liked it, please subscribe, like, and share. If you're feeling extra generous please consider leaving an iTunes review. My name is Ryan Bradshaw, and I produce this podcast to help students connect with the material, but also to be able to share the content with the world. My hope is through education, we can make the world a kinder, happier, and better place. Thank you for joining me, and I look forward to our time together in the future. Until then, I wish you well.